Hello and welcome into Winging It, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm your host, Annie Thamberg, joined by number 15, the now-retired Mr. Vince Carter. VC in the house. What's up? What's up? And we are so excited to be joined by 2017 NBA champion and maybe most importantly, podcast extraordinaire. Matt Barnes. <laughs> right. Right. It's, it's good, to, good to be here, man. Me and Vince have been trying to play catch up on this for a minute, so I'm glad we finally uh, were able to connect. Yeah, we've been for talking sure, about man. getting you on for a while, so I'm glad we were able to make this work. So let's let's just jump right into it. How are things? How are things for you? I want to talk about the podcast later, but just life for you right now in COVID and all this madness that's happening. I think Vince can kind of relate to this. You know, although it's been unfortunate, uh, you know, circumstances for the world, this is the first time since I was 18, I got to sit down and kind of just relax and spend time with my kids and shoot my podcast from home, shoot ESPN from home. Everything I've been able, been able to do, I've been able to do from home. You know what I mean? So I've been able to spend a lot more time with my kids. So it's been, like I said, outside of it being, you know, a, a crazy pandemic and, and the world's kind of in shambles for me personally. You know, no one's been sick. Everyone's been healthy. And I've actually been able to spend some time at home. So it's been great. Hey, I literally talk, uh, said to my, my boy today, uh, he helping me move. And I said, man, it still feels like the summer. You yeah. know, as far as right. scheduling, you know, it's usually right. when the season's over, we go into summertime looking for what the heck we're going to do. And really, it's like the, in October, almost November. Right. You know? I mean, it's normally crazy. the season normally the season's just starting, you know, yeah, which is yeah. crazy because the season's yeah. just ending right now. So it was, uh, you know, I think everyone wanted to put an asterisk by this season, but I couldn't imagine with everything going on in the world uh, being picked up and put in the bubble. To me, the champion should be ha- should have a gold star next to yeah. it because to be able to mentally focus on everything else that that's going on, being isolated from the world, taken from your kids, taken from your family, and still be able to play great basketball, along with the world wanting the NBA to save the world, um, to me, it's a gold star for those guys in the bubble. And really, congratulations to the Lakers and LeBron James. Hey, I agree with that. I've been, I've been saying that as well. It's like, man, how can you put an asterisk by it? Because I mean, yeah, you know, like I said, the, oh, it's easier to shoot in there. They don't have to worry about um, playing on the road. You're right. But at the same time, like, you got to think about this. You're looking at the same four walls for four months. It's not like you're going on the road for a week and a half or, you know, and you know right. you're going back home. These dudes never mm-hmm. got to see their home, their their own bed. They're staying in a hotel right. for months. Right. And, you know, you still got the focus. It's like, yeah. And, you tough. know, we're, I mean, you know, we're creatures of habit. You know what I mean? We were able to hang out with our friends and family to be able to balance out our crazy basketball schedule. So to be able to not, like you said, be in the bubble by yourself, isolated, that's a big mental adjustment. And, uh, you know, talking to Chris Paul and Paul George and a couple other guys, that mental aspect was very tough for a lot of the players uh, that were in the bubble. And you heard a lot of guys talk about that. I mean, and, and at first it was kind of like, all right, you know, it's an excuse. But then you shouldn't think about it like, I can't imagine the boundaries that these guys had for a week, but you're talking about for months. Four months. And, you know, too, VC, like we're, you know, I mean, we haven't really had anyone tell us what we have to do, you know what I mean, since what we were in school. You know what I mean? Not that we're spoiled brats running around, but we've been able to move as grownups since we've been in the NBA, you know, so so such a circumstance of rules to be set in, in, in a situation where you can't leave. That's tough. I went right. to uh, the Hawks bubble that, that we did here, mini oh, camp, right. and it was only like 10, 11 days. And even that, just being sure. in the same place for 10 days, I was like, right. I cannot imagine. <laughs> I have right. like so much empathy for them because right. I was kind of going crazy for that amount of time, not to mention four months. But Annie, think about what you just said real quick. Think about what you just said. 10 days. Just imagine 
the ten day trip that we had. Yeah, it was no big deal. You right. eat that up like that's cool. I'm gonna go yeah. here. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go eat. I'm gonna go do this. But now you were on. In, you were going for ten days, and it felt like you were locked up. Right. Like literally. You know what I'm saying? So. Kudos well, to, like you said, to the Lakers and kudos to all, all these teams that kind of, you absolutely. know, the, the last two teams, man, who obviously stayed the longest and, you know, they were able to survive it and, you know, and we were, we were crowned the champion. Vince, I don't know if you saw, I'm sure you did because you're on Twitter. Shams tweeted today, the NBA is going to return December 22nd, which I've heard oh, is really? not likely. So I wanted to get, because they just finished and, you know. I, f- I heard it. Well, I'll just read it. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, LeBron is obviously the most most important player in the league, I would say. He probably makes big decisions. Well, I would say the Lakers in the, you know, the Lakers, you know, also, I mean, they were, you know, the, the last two, well, the last two teams, you know, yeah. are, are the most important. Right. Uh, and, and, and the, you know, Lakers, Miami Heat, who played, the you know, more basketball than anyone. Like, now you're talking about going back in, what, a month and a half? Or so, yeah. two months. Like I, I thought, I, I want to say I read some two days ago that they were trying to start on MLK mm-hmm. um, in the middle of January. But I think starting in December, I, I don't think it's a good I, idea. Yeah, I just saw foremost. a ticker. Uh, I just yeah. saw a ticker that said, uh, like right during, right, right after Christmas. Yeah, so, you know, it's a, and I know the NBA is big on trying to be able to have fans come back around for right. uh, this next season. Because I read an article during during the bubble that I want I think it said like seventy three or seventy five. Five percent of the Warriors' revenue for, uh, for their team generated is through their new arena. You know what I mean? So for them not mm-hmm. to be able to have any concessions, any fans, like although these guys are billionaires, they're still bleeding money because you know no fans can be in the arenas yet. Real quick, unique situation about Toronto as well. Think about that. They're talking about not being able to play their games in Canada. All right, because right. of the travel situation. So I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a lot of lot at stake here. Go ahead. Yeah. Amy. Canada does not want us. Um, (laughs) So his tweet says that the NBA and the MBPA have been in conversations about. So it's just a proposal for December twenty second. Okay, but but that said that the league office informed the board of governors that they are projecting December twenty second. So I don't know. I don't really know what all these big words mean, but it seems like you guys think that's not going to happen. No, I think that's too soon. I I don't. I mean, even if they they come to an agreement, you still got to get the the players to kind of to sign off on that and. You know, there again, you know, LeBron's of the world, the you know, any of these players, Chris Paul, all he's going to look at what just happened, what just took place. I mean, we're like he, like Matt said at the beginning, we're creatures of habit. And, you know, you, after you, you play, you know, especially LeBron, after you play in the finals every year, <laughs> you're used to having your two and a half, three months, three and a half months or whatever off right. getting back to basketball shape and whatever. So... You know, and if they do that, they're putting themselves in a position where you can't complain about players uh, or teams sitting guys down now because mm-hmm. you're you having such a quick turnaround. The organization is going to worry about their star players making sure they're healthy for the you know when the playoffs come. So that's a know, great they're going to have to be willing for that. All interesting stuff. We'll get back to this, but let's talk more about Matt Barnes. Matt, something I read about you, and this was the only phrase I could find, was that you are a cannabis entrepreneur. So I want to know, <laughs> I tried to find like the exact, you know, title or what exactly it is that you were doing, but everything just kept saying cannabis entrepreneur. So I'd like to know if you could define what that means and kind of what you've been up to in that side. Uh, I'm an advocate. Um, you know, I'm someone who, you know, grew up in a household with, what do you say? Yeah, Carter wants to yes, say hi. Yes, sir. Hey, uh- What's up, boy? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm someone who grew up... Um, 
you know, and, uh, you know, both my parents were functioning drug addicts. My dad was a drug dealer, saw everything at an early age. And the only thing that kind of pertained to me, you know, I kind of feel like sometimes you follow in your parents' footsteps or you go exactly opposite. I went exactly opposite, but the one thing that stuck to me, I remember from a little kid was the smell of cannabis because my parents smoked cigarettes and I hated the smell. But my dad smoked weed. I'm like, okay, you might be onto something right here. So this is as a child. <laughs> so at 14, um, you know, I started smoking and, you know, not necessarily knowing what I was going to get, what it's going to do to me. It just allowed me to focus. You know, I grew up in a, you know, with a rough childhood and a lot of outside distractions. And it allowed me to focus, allowed me to sleep. And it just made me feel good. You know, it kind of, it was kind of an escape for me. So I did that through high school, through UCLA, through my whole 15 years in the NBA. And, uh, you know, as soon as I was done, uh, or actually while I was in the NBA, I got caught twice. Uh, you get three strikes and you're, and, and you're suspended. I got like 2.75. Um, they let me admit myself a couple times voluntarily. But, you know, one thing that I found really interesting was, you know, I kind of became friends with, with, with the guys that were uh, running the drug program. And they said over 200 plus players were in the drug program, particularly for weed, which is that's half the NBA, which to me is absolutely ridiculous. And it's anyone from our super, super, superstars to, you know, rookies and everyone in between. So once I retired, I really took on the shield along with Al Harrington as kind of advocating for it, educating people about it, talking to the league about it, uh, working with my alma mater UCLA on their UCLA can uh, cannabis research program just to kind of get more education out there because I was someone who was a social drinker. Um, you know, I wouldn't miss any games unless I was really hurt. So in, in, in painkillers upset my stomach. So to me, it was a full-time job, you know, using cannabis throughout my career. I just always had to be ready in it to, to try to beat these tests. So like I said, I think I speak for a lot of guys who are currently playing and, and left the game that, you know, this is a definitely a medicine that could be utilized uh, if utilized properly to benefit the players. And at the end of the day, that's all you want because everyone knows that these opioids that they're pumping our body full, uh, pumping our bodies full of are only masking the, 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 the particular, uh, you know, pain and, and causing other long-term side effects. So can, cannabis is something that is, uh, you know, on the rise. I'm glad that there's medical research behind it because I've been saying this shit for a long time and I've just been labeled as a stoner or a smoker or whatever. But now that there's actually universities behind it doing medical research, um, I, I'm really proud of where cannabis is and I hope it continues to, you know, raise awareness and, and work its way into particularly the NBA because Major League Baseball and the NFL have already allowed it. But Matt, let me ask you this real quick. How, if you can talk about it, I don't know, uh, but how has the talks with the NBA gone as far as to have you kind of pushed the needle, moved the needle any, or are you kind of still stagnant? Um, so I know that the, the Players Association was very pro. Uh, we're for it. The NBA was against it. Um, last time I spoke, which was maybe a year and a half ago, they were both on, you know, almost opposite sides of the table where the NBA's doctor found every negative thing you can find of the sun. And then the Players Association doctor found every positive benefits. So I think, I think what they were trying to do was kind of, you know, meet somewhere in the middle and just have an understanding. You know, I have a feeling that CBD will, you know, possibly, possibly work its way in the league, hopefully by next year. And I'm hoping two or three years out that, you know, we can be prescribed cannabis for sleep, for focus, for anti-inflammatory reasons, uh, you know, for all the reasons they give us these opioids they can prescribe as cannabis. So, you know, that's something, like I said, that myself, Al Harrington, and those other guys that are working and talking with the NBA on kind of understanding the, the bigger picture. Yeah, the CBD stuff, that, that doesn't work. I mean, and it's it funny does. not using it now. Like, you, I feel you know, the effects of, of, of the ankle, sometimes my ankle, uh, from it. But, man, 
You 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 hit that one on the head with that one. Absolutely. Shout out to Al Harrington too, because I mean he's been yes. he's been at it for a very he's long front time. Center. And yeah. He set the yeah he set the the stage for you know the athletes and not even athletes, but he has I know he's opened doors like for you. Yeah. I know Stack Stack Jack is involved. I know um, uh, Catino is is kind of doing yeah. some stuff out there. Gil, yeah. yeah, there's a bunch of athletes, but I mean. You know the trendsetter and, and the father, grandfather of it all is you know Al who's done done some great stuff. Absolutely, I agree with what you said. I'm from Boulder, Colorado, so it's been you I've been a, I've been around <laughs> it and its research right. for quite a while. Right. And so I like it was legal, medically legal when I was in high school. So okay. it's crazy to go from and all you had to say five not that I said it, but that was not five years ago. Okay. Don't flatter me like that. Um, but you just had to have a headache and you could get prescribed when you were 18 in Colorado. Right. So it's, and I'm right. 29 now. So that was, so going from that and now living in Georgia where it's completely illegal, they don't even do medical here unless you have like very severe illnesses. So Georgia is actually in the process of, of making some changes because we're trying to get involved with the project out there right now. So I know, uh, I know it's on the way to Georgia. That's good to hear. I felt like we'd be one of the last states. I know two chains also, I'm sure, would love to help because I know he was part sure. of the decriminalization of it in Atlanta it's a large, as well. It's a laundry list of guys who mm-hmm. would be on board. Yes. So yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. You know anyone, Vince? Few. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> we'll move on. Actually, I do have a question. You don't have to answer this, but how did you pass all your drug tests in college? I ran from one. And I failed one, but they let me slide. And then I passed one because I had, oh man, this is early in the day. It was um, niacin. I don't know if you've ever taken niacin, but I'm sorry, this is probably, man, 1999. So I took niacin. I think that's what it's called. And it kind of feels like it's just burning your skin from the inside out. It's fucking horrible. But it it flushed my system completely. But I had like hives on me from scratching and being so raw. But no bullshit. It was really like a full-time job to smoke while I was in the league. You know, it was something where I had to, I mean, eat clean. I've seen seen Matt in action. Yeah, man. I've seen you in action. Eat eat clean, work out after a game, get in the steam room, always having my detox drink with me, just always on standby because like I said, in the NBA, it's random. Mm -hmm. And I've been several times where I've smoked the night before and hey, you're on the list. I'm like, oh, fuck. But, you know, it's it, it's stressful. But to me, there was no other option because, like I said, I take one painkiller, one Vicodin, something like that, and it just turns my stomach upside down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have a football player mentality, so I played through absolutely everything outside of, you know, a knee surgery that I had. Like, I played through ankles, broken fingers, uh, jammed shoulders, you know, you name it, I played through it. And it was, it was because of cannabis for that little bit of time It you know, it relieved the pain enough to where I can get out there and play. And then as soon as I was done, it would, you know, I would smoke to, to, to put me to sleep, to relax me. So, you know, it was something that, you know, if I didn't have, I don't know what, how long I would have lasted. And obviously drug addiction in sports is not new, but you're seeing a lot of it. I know last year that baseball player died from an overdose that he was given by the team doctor. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, painkillers are awful. I I get sick from them too. You know, if you, if you think about it, if you're a GM, president, owner, would you rather have your players out in the streets drinking, doing cocaine, popping pills, or would you rather have them at, at the house smoking a joint, laughing, watching a movie? You know, what I mean, that's all we really. You know, we went out every once in a while, but you know, when you smoke weed, you want to relax, and, and and that's the vibe and elements you want. You know, so I'm thinking, you know, from the top down. 
you know, do I want my players out here popping these perks and, and, and all these other drugs that these rappers are talking about and doing lean and cocaine and all this other shit that is out there, but you want to penalize us. Like I said, when I was in there, it was half the league was in that program just for cannabis alone. So you want to penalize us for something that's actually helping us and keeping us relaxed and focused, which is crazy to me. Yeah, because, I mean, we had we had an executive in the, in the NBA some years ago, you know, remain nameless. I'm sure some people can research it and find it that had an issue. I, I know you remember because it's around our time somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so yeah, it's real. I mean, you should, you can look at that alone. It's like, not, you're not even, not even, and that's not even a player. We're talking about an executive who, you know, was was locked in on it. But if you, if you look at it, I mean, it's not just sports. I mean, we're in an opioid epidemic across the no, country. Right. You know, you mean you're you saw right. Oxycontin just lost an $8 billion lawsuit. And I didn't, I didn't, I only saw the headlines, but I didn't get to read the details. But Oxycontin owes eight billion for their contribution to the to the uh, to to the crisis that that this country faces. So it's crazy, you know. It, it's big. It, it's bigger than any, you know. Money rules the world. You know what I mean. So these doctors are paid to prescribe us this these opioids that they know are causing long term effects and addiction. But you know, knowing that it's not good for us, but they're also you know getting money put in their pockets. So it's like a catch twenty two. Why do you think, and actually, I didn't know that the NFL and the MLB had like allowed it. So why do you think that, because the NBA, I feel like, is in front of everyone always. So why do you think that they're behind on this? I think we're very image conscious. Um, I think that's the reason. And it's not even so much, and Vince can contest this, when I first came in the league, when Vince first came in the league, we would get that one preseason test, and then we we wouldn't get tested so no more. So it wasn't necessarily about saying, hey, you can smoke weed. It's just you're just not being tested for it no more. And I think that's the route that baseball and the NFL has taken. It's not like we're promoting, hey, go smoke weed because it's not for everybody. You know what I mean? But I think it's just that you get that one preseason test and I don't even know if they're doing it anymore because I know they've allowed it on both fronts, but you would get that one preseason test and you're good. So I think the NBA is very image conscious. Like you said, we kind of move the needle when it comes to not only sports, but culture. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of young fans that look up to us and, you know, I have children as well, you know, so it's something I've talked to my 11-year-old twins about uh, they know I do it. They know why I do it. And, you know, I'm a realist, you know, with all the shit they're looking at on the Internet, talking to their friends about there's going to be some point where I feel like they're going to want to try it. And I want to have that open line of communication where they know they can come to their dad and talk about it uh, before they make any you know, drastic movement. So I think to, to get back to your question, I just think the NBA is very image conscious um, because, like you said, we do we are so far ahead and we do move the needle in so many different directions that they want to just want to make sure that this is the right direction they want to head in. Makes you sense. Said Eleven. God, crazy, right? Crazy remember when they were? Remember when they were babies? When we played together, they were babies. Yo, time flies. Hey, it just means we're getting older, bro. That's it. Yeah, you, you, you got that right. <laughs> <laughs> we all know Vince's. I like to remind him. Hey, man, not too far from behind me. I'm bringing everybody with me. Vince, what are you? Forty-two, forty-three. How old are you? Forty-three. I just, I just, yeah. I just turned forty in March. So I'm definitely right yeah. behind you. Yeah, he's right there. And he yeah. and he's still hooping. Well. Until recently, was. Mr. Yeah, Carter sure. was. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, 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 I commend you for that, boy. I didn't touch the ball since I retired. I'm cool. <laughs> Man, I shot, I shot a ball for the first time. Uh, this little commercial shoot I did, or whatever, little PSA shoot, and I was all, bro, I was all over the place. Yeah, all over the place. I was like, whoa, like it's just amazing. You know, I'm sure you just fool around with it. I mean, it was kind of mm-hmm. like, <laughs> yeah, all right, whatever. You know, I mean, it's I'm like riding a bike. Go. 
You know, yeah, it's absolutely. like riding by you. It take you twenty to thirty, get back in rhythm. It, but if you man. don't touch it at all, it's like yeah, people it's, look yeah. at you like, oh, you're Vince Carter. You played that long in the you NBA. Played. You can't even make a. You know what I mean? It's hey, crazy. And I literally said that to him. I said, believe me, I did play this game, but it was <laughs> right. like it was bad, bro. I was like hitting the side of the backboard. No, I meant the uh, the side of the goal, uh, facing I'm talking about in front of the rim. It was bad. Mm -hmm. Vince, what has it been? I mean, I know this is your guys' podcast, but I, I mean, I want like, what's it been like? You know, I mean, you're done after 22 years. I know you've been golfing a lot. You got the fan. Like, what is it? Has it hit you that you're done yet? Like, what what is your energy and vibe to it? Honestly, it has it, it hasn't really hit me like that because, you know, because of the stoppage. I already I started working. You know, doing you know some some TV work with Turner. Then I start you know obviously signed with ESPN, mm -hmm. and so welcome that kind of helped. Welcome to the family, yeah, by the absolutely. way. Absolutely, both both sides. You know, both sides. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um. I think that helped. I started working, so I kind of just started getting locked in on, on you know what I enjoyed, preparing myself as usual. You know, I, mm -hmm. I looked at it as like, hey, the season's over. I typically start working the playoffs, and that kind of how it was. And you know, golf has always been there as an easy outlet to kind of not think about it. So once once they announced that uh, that the season was back on, and at first they said thirty teams, I was like, oh, pleasant surprise. Mm -hmm. And then two days later, it's like, nah, it's just 22 teams. I was like, all right, it's so, all right, it's over with. And right. that's what it was. I kind of, I kind of, I was still working out just, just in case, just waiting. And then I started getting that vibe, like it's not happening. I, I kind of felt like it wasn't happening. Honestly, mm -hmm. I didn't think, I didn't think we were going to, I felt the season was going to come back, but I didn't think yeah. we were going to get back in. You know, we weren't in a position. Um, mm -hmm. It had been a, a, a hell of a bonus, but no, nah, it really hasn't hit me. I think next year, when full when season, yeah. like it's like, like, you know, sitting away from it. Like, I watch it, you know, obviously, because we have to kind of have some knowledge of mm -hmm. it when we're, when we're working. But, man, I look at a rim, I'm like, cool. Yeah. Cool. That's well, see, there's not, there's not too many people to get to walk away from the game. You know, unfortunately. Yeah. And that's it, what I'm it, thankful for. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's injuries. Sometimes it's just nobody wants you no more. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I won a championship in my 15th year, and I was ready to make a move. You played your 22, and you were ready to make a move. But... We were very fortunate from a standpoint of we got to kind of walk away at peace. You yeah. know what I mean? Like no one forced us out. An injury didn't right. force us out. If we wanted to, we could have continued to play. Right. But we chose to. And, it, and, and I know it's hard, you know, for, with my partner, Stephen Jackson, you know, he didn't get to yeah. play as long as he wanted to. You know, and so he, he was yeah. trying he, he was trying to get back in. Now he's playing in the big three. He still kind of has that itch. And I just I, I thank God every day because I don't know what I would do if I still had that itch. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. just I would be fighting myself every day. No, it's funny you say that because I think my answer would have been a little different if I didn't make that last shot. Mm. You know, you, you see what mm. I'm saying? If I didn't make that last shot, right. now I'm like, man, I just need one more, you know, one more shot. Let me get in. Let me play. I don't care mm -hmm. what, you know, it would have, have been that, you know, that mentality. But right. you, you said it, at peace, because once that shot went in, I was like, thank Damn, you. Right. If Even if we come back, okay, cool. If we don't, mm -hmm. I ended on a make. Right. Blah, blah, blah. And I, I can walk away from the game, you know, That's whatever. Dope. So I think that that was kind of the, you know, the 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 factor of it all and, and help the transition. Because if that shot doesn't go in, yeah, it's on I'm your over mind here forever. fiending. I'm over here fiending. Yeah. Like, let me just get one regular season game just to hit one shot. You know just what I'm saying? Or something. Yeah. So that's I it. know we, we, inter we interviewed Trey Young um, and he was very excited to know that, like, he got, first of all, he got to play with you, you know, but right. second of all, like, he gave you the pass that ended your career pretty much, you know, in a yeah. positive he, note. He said, and, and he set it up. I mean, he, 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 as soon as I stepped in, he's like, nah, we run, we running our, our go-to play. 
yeah. uh, a rugby play to the pitch back for the three. He's mm-hmm. like, I already told, I told our team and I told him, nah, he getting this. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I was like, cool, cool. All right, cool. Because I, I was still, like, I was all over the place as I checked in, you know, and just kind of, you know, you re- replay 20-something, you know, 22 years uh, in the league and this could possibly be it. And so I'm just kind of like in my own world. He came up, that's, he came up to me, he's like, we're running the play for you. I was like, all right, cool, whatever. Took the ball out and Hell yeah. lo and behold. So yeah, shout out to Trey for that one. That's what's up. It was crazy. I'm pretty sure the entire arena like let out a sigh of relief because at that point we kind of knew what was coming. You know, Bro, fans I've been are on sitting their on phone. The side. Yeah. Yeah. I had been sitting on the side for so long. They're talking about a jump shot. I was like, man, I I'm not even warm. Like, but you know, I was just like, <laughs> I was just like I was like, shoot it, shoot it like you know, you you've been hot. And that was kind of uh, the mentality, yeah. and that's how I was able to make it. Cause if I was if I had like, oh man, all of these excuses, yeah, I'd have been short. Didn't want to be short. Hell no. <laughs> And isn't the saying in basketball like you can never leave the court on a miss or something? Yeah. I, I mean, I tell my kid this. I, mean, I don't care if he's on his Nerf hoop, like end on a mate. And he does. Like, I mean, that's just kind of how it goes. You know, my daughter, everybody, like all my friends when we work out, kids are like end on a mate, man. Kind of just the mentality. If you're ready to go home, you're going you're gonna to focus in on, on your last shot. So, Matt, let's talk about your podcast, All the Smoke. Obviously, we talked about this before we went live, but you guys have been doing a phenomenal job. Um, it's been really impressive to see. I love you know seeing athletes building these brands and these podcasts. So it's it's been great. But what's it been like for you, uh, you know, working with Stack, especially these past couple of months that everything you know he's gone through with yeah. the loss of George Floyd? It's been a roller coaster, you know, to kind of start how it got started. Um, you know, he and I were both respectively working for Fox and ESPN at the time and everyone was liking our raw, uncut takes and, and, and our realness. And we kept getting a lot of, you guys need to do stuff together on social media. You guys need to do stuff together. So we were actually at my place in the Bay Area smoking, watching a game. I'm like, yo, let's do a podcast. He's like, what's a podcast? I was like, I don't really know, but I know we could just talk real shit. Like we don't have to, you know, I'm with Disney ESPN, so I can't really be me. I have to do my job. So all I knew was we could be kind of be uncensored to be us. And, you know, that's when you get the best of us. Um, so he agreed. Um, I ran across some people that were doing the uh, DeMarcus Cousins documentary for Showtime. I was, I was interviewed for it. And one of the producers like, Hey, I heard you want to do a podcast. I'm like, yeah. Like, I was like, how did you hear? He's like, Oh, everyone's talking about it. I was like, cool. He's like, you need to talk to Showtime. I'm like, Showtime. I was like, Showtime does podcasts. I'm like, no, but they might. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so, um, you know, I took a meeting and they took a chance on us, you know, no, no sizzle reel, no practice, no, they just really believed in me and Jack and uh, it was a tremendous blessing. So it's, it's been a, a great learning experience. I'm very hands-on from getting the guests to creating the rundown to, uh, you know, formatting everything. So I'm very, cause I like to learn the process and, and everything I'm involved in. So it's been a great learning experience. It's been a blast. Um, you know, but fast forwarding into, you know, 20, 2020, uh, once COVID hit, it was just, it was, it, it's been crazy. You know, we were doing isolated and, um, you know, isolated interviews, obviously. And then the whole George Floyd uh, situation hit and, and Jack was front and center for the, uh, you know, arguably the biggest protest the world has ever seen, you know? So I think he's learned a lot. I've been able to learn a lot, continuing to educate. We've been continuing to educate ourselves and, really show through the podcast. And I think the reason why we've been able to have a lot of success, you know, granted Showtime's amazing and they do they do their thing, but I think we've really been able to humanize our guests. You know, like we've, we're fortunate enough to have Vince. Everyone knows 
how fucking amazing Vince is on the basketball court. But I like to show our fans, his fans and everyone else, the other side of Vince, you know, the side of Vince I know, you know, the side of Kobe I know, the side of KD I know. So it's really been my goal to humanize our guests and kind of let everyone know, like, we're just like you guys. We just happen to get paid money to play basketball, but we still go through the same ups, downs, heart rates, failures, joys, Children, sick, the rest of the world, yeah, the rest of the world goes through. But I think people think because we play basketball and we make this money that we're superheroes or something and and we're far from it. So, like I said, I think the reason why we've been very successful in this space because we've been able to let, we've been able to have our guests let their guards down and really freely talk and have more of a conversation instead of an interview, so to speak. Yeah, that's that's definitely our goal. And, you know, I'll say this, two things. Um, so one, you know, when we did that interview, Andy, I don't, I don't know if I, I told you that we did, I think we did it, what, three hours? We were on there just like, yeah, because we, re- we shit recorded like right after three. Okay. That's right. Sure did. Like, I mean, it, it didn't even feel like it. It was just like, you know, so uh, I mean, I can attest to what you're saying as far as like, that's <clears throat> obviously it's a goal of ours, but we literally got on there and just kind of was like, walk down memory, walk down memory lane with just, just good conversation as if we were sitting in a locker room. That's thousands it. of times like we've done That's it. just just yeah. talking you know just talking about whatever it yeah. is we talk about you know what i'm saying so yeah. it was cool and the yeah. other thing i want to say shout out to both of you uh you know obviously what what uh stack is doing with the george, george floyd and i know the work that you did in sacramento mm-hmm. when i was in sac and uh for for the young man that was uh mm-hmm. killed in his backyard stefan uh, clark stefan stefan clark, clark. stefan mm-hmm. clark and and I, I i spoke at a church out there but i remember the the walk you did by the arena to the Capitol building, if I'm not mistaken. No, uh, Caesar Chavez, Caesar Chavez, yeah, Caesar that's what Chavez Park. Yeah, the little yes. park right there. Yeah, yeah, right down the street. Yeah, so I, I, I was, I, I say I was in town, so I was around, but and, and just knowing everything you've done, you know, I know what you're doing with the Prop 16. You talked about. Mm-hmm. I mean, you like, you, 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 you're doing some good stuff, man. You know, yeah. for what people like you, I've heard you say this before. From and I've, and I've attested to this from what people have perceived of you, you know, <laughs> for all these years. Right, right. You know, I, I hope they can sit there. It's like, you know what? I didn't know, like, he got it together. He, you know, I, yeah. they need to take a page of the book, like, you know, yeah. as far as, you know, you being yourself, but you're making change at the same time. Right. Like, right. that's a salute to you for that. I appreciate it. You know, my whole thing was I, you know, I wasn't fortunate enough to come into the league like you being a top pick. You know, I had to scratch and claw my whole way. You know, I was a second round pick who got cut, had to go to the D League. And then to me, when I came in, when I got a chance to come to the league, like it's fuck, it's either me or you. So if we have to fight, do whatever, like I'm going to make this because this is my dream. You know what I mean? So I didn't get, you know, the, the red ribbon and I'm an instant millionaire. Once I got into the league, I had to scratch, claw and grind. So through that process, I developed a reputation. And I say, you know, a, a reputation is earned, whether good or bad. So I earned almost a villain reputation. And then in Orlando, when I did the ball fake in Kobe's face is when I really became the bad guy. And he used to trip me out because if you knew me, you know, I'm cool as a fan. Right. I'd be chilling. I used to tell I'm, people I'm, that all, I was uh, like, yeah. y'all got it all wrong, man. Yeah, no, I'm cool. Like, he's I'm the guy chilling, you want to you know? hang out with. Right. I'm telling you. <laughs> you know, like, I, I, I'm that, you know what I mean? But it, it took me a minute, but then I just, just kind of embraced it. I'm just like, well, fuck, if they're going to keep paying me all this money and they want me to be the bad guy, I, I can just be the bad guy. But I think post-career, I've been able to kind of shed that image and, and really show you know, the dad I am, the entrepreneur I am, the, you know, all the philanthropic work, all everything I do to give back and really try to do my part to, you know, be a small part of change. And, you know, whether it's creating propositions, bills, you know, I hope to run for mayor in about seven years in my hometown. So anything I can do 
um, to give back, to help, to encourage, to motivate. Um, I do, but it, it, to me, honestly, it's been, it's, it, I enjoy changing people's perception of me because I was labeled a thug. I was labeled every bad name you could think of when I played. And then when people meet me like, Oh shit, you can hold a conversation or you have a degree from UCLA or you're a dad. Like, I've always been all these things. You just, you saw the just competitive. Just didn't choose yeah, to look at it. Right, right, right. You saw the competitive nature in me, you know? So it, 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 I've enjoyed, you know, proving people wrong or people like scratching their head like, damn, that's not that motherfucker on the court we saw a couple of years ago. He's a lot, <laughs> he's a lot different now. So it's been a fun ride, you know, post-career. I got to say this, like the one thing that shines through and, you know, that, and now I'm not speaking for the, on the fan side, I'm speaking from the player side is you know, when he walks in the room, I can remember uh, Orlando he comes in the room, you hear all these things, whatever the case may be, his loyalty to his team is what shines through. And when he gets in the mode of, you're not, you, you know, it ain't going down like that with my, with me or my players and my team, you jump on board because it's infectious and, and you, you, you jump in a foxhole with somebody like that who's all about, you know, winning. And doing it by any means, like he said, which brings me to my point about in Memphis. I talk about this all the time. <laughs> Remember in Memphis that we were playing. Now nah, I'm saying we were playing against Memphis and Orlando, and uh, what's the big fella, uh, seven foot dude, like oh to be you, uh, to be man, like it was just a, it was just one of those things. To, like hey, I was about to whoop his big ass. <laughs> yeah, and it, it was going there, and it's, next thing you know, it's just like. Half our team, like, all right, well, what's what's up? And next thing uh, I know, we, we get technicals right? all over the place. So it's like, you know, it's just it's just one of those things, but it's just infectious, and it's all right. about you know that's what creates the the bonds, and you know, doing things like post career, you know, always keeping in touch. Like I, I still keep in touch with Matt just because you know you know mm-hmm. he does the same for, with me, and you know we ended up being becoming teammates again in Memphis, and that team, you ain't want no smoke with that team, Hell point no. blank. That was first so, team all fight. We, all, we were yeah, that's what, it was. that's what it was. But, but yeah. it's just, you know, it's just all about that. And, you know, that's how teams win championships because you're willing to do anything for each other to, to win. And he brought that to the table. Appreciate that, bro. Thank you. Vince, can you please elaborate on the story that you just teased, please? The, the to be? No, nah, yeah. it was just kind of a situation, you know, just guys, you know, talking their junk and whatever. And, you know, I think he hard foul. I think he, yeah. I think he hard foul somebody on our team, and then he kind of like tried to like yeah. And I'm like hold on. I was like, yeah. I was like hold on, big motherfucker. We can we can get to it right now. You know, to me, I've just always been. Yeah, go ahead. I I was raised. You know, like I said, I was raised. You know, my dad was a real one. Although he did a lot of crazy shit, the one thing he taught me was family. You know what I mean? So I was I'm the oldest of three. So if my brother and sister fought, I fought. No matter if they won or lost, like. I had to fight. So I just kind of always have taken that protective mentality. Like my teammate is my family. If you think about it during the season, you're with your teammates more than you're with your family. I mean, so everyone I play with, those are my guys. So I'm going to go to war for you on the court, off the court, during the game, whatever the situation may be. Um, you know, and that that's just kind of me. And I think I got a reputation for that, but it was a reputation where you hated to play it against me, but you love having me on I your hate team. It. Like play it against yeah. Matt. <laughs> Fuck, no, right. I hated it. You know, I mean, and it wasn't, and it wasn't like you know, you could score a bunch of points and like, all right, he gonna back down. It's like, nah, no matter man, what, he ain't still like, you know, mm-hmm. it don't matter. Nah. It's just like, and it's just kind of cool. It. Like we became teammates, and you think usually when you play, it's, it's not nah, just the same old thing. It's like it's just, it just, you know, you look for that to be honest with you. Like you don't want, I mean, why, why you, you don't want somebody that you can, you can pump or, or, or it's gonna back down. So you know, my job, that. 
you know, throughout my career was to guard the Vinces, to guard the KDs, Kobe's, Steph's, Paul Pierce's, Ginobili's, D-Wade's. Like, every night was a battle. And I know that great offense is always going to be good defense. But my mentality was, no matter what, it just make them work. You know, don't give them nothing free. I don't want Vince dunking, putting his nuts on my shoulder and being on Sports Center Top 10. Like, <laughs> Vince knows, like, I'm going to try to foul him. Not, not yep. in a way to hurt him, but I'm just it's like, just, that's how I yep. play. Now that whether we're up, whether we're down, whether he's got 40 or 50, like, until that buzzer sounds, like, I'm a football player mentality. So I'm going to play until we're not supposed to play mm-hmm. anymore. So that's kind of just the approach I took. Like, I didn't look. I mean, yeah, there were some games where I dropped 30 or hit a bunch of threes, but that was never really my thing. It was just like, okay, well, shit, tonight we play San Antonio. I know I might get switched on Tim Duncan. I'm going to have to guard Ginobili and Tony Parker. You know, then we play the Miami Heat, and they got LeBron in the big three. I'm going to have to guard all the big three. Tonight I'm playing the Lakers. I'm going to guard Kobe the whole entire game. So that was more my mindset going into every game than like, okay, shit, let me go. Damn, I want to score 30 tonight. I'm at home. I want to drop 20. Like one thing I learned, and it was obviously later in my career, but I already had the mindset. He just put the words to it was be a star in your role. And that's something that Doc Rivers taught me. You know what I mean? Like there's Vince Carter is a superstar. Like there's not, there's a handful of superstars, you know, but I knew what my role was, was to rebound, be tough, knock down threes and do the dirty shit. So once I realized that was what my role was going to be, I became a star in my role. And that's why I was able to play not the most talented by any means. I've seen a lot of first picks and lottery picks come and go during my career. But I just knew what my role was, and I was an expert in my role, and that's what allowed me to play as long as I wanted to. And that's how guys stick around, to be Absolutely. honest with you. You understand your role. you know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we come into the league expecting or, well, I'll just say expecting to do this or get this or be this, and you get there. And, and the, the harsh reality is like you know, you're in a reserve role, and some of these guys can't handle that because of the success they have in college. They come in like, oh, man, you know what I did in college? Yeah, that's cool. What have you done in the league yet? You know, so guys got to understand, you know, you got to earn it. And and that's how people stick around. And I think, I mean, that really hats off to you, Vince, because you got to think you came in as fucking half man, half amazing. So you're dropping 30 plus points, getting 20 plus shots a game. And as your career lengthened, your role and identity completely changed. And that allowed you to be the guy that played until he didn't want to play great locker room guy come in and plays his role still knocks down big shots he'll still drop it if he gets enough shots he'll give you 30 Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. you know and I I compare that to Dwight Howard Dwight Howard was on his way out you know we played with Dwight when when Dwight was in Orlando he was a fucking ant people forget how fat how good Dwight Howard was for him to completely reinvent himself and be a role player on a championship team I just saw him the other night at the Snoop's birthday party and I was telling him this like that's where a lot of guys lose it you know some guys like Allen Iverson couldn't handle it Carmelo almost couldn't handle it. You know, Carmelo had to get a little taste of that humble pie to understand, like, okay, fuck, well, I'm not the bucket mellow I used to be in in Denver no more in everyone else's eyes. He may still thought it, but everyone else didn't see it. So to be able to go from a superstar to kind of reinventing yourself to allowing you to have that longevity, not a lot of people can handle that. Matt, I know you've told this story quite a bit, but I like to hear it for our show. You talked about the Kobe fake. (laughs) Um, Obviously, it's a big moment that everyone remembers. So can you just walk yeah. us through kind of how that all happened and and then just how surprised or not surprised you were that he didn't flinch at all? Um, it, it was a crazy situation because, you know, if you re- if you think about it, Orlando and the Lakers played in the finals the year before. And then Vince and I got to our, Vince and I came to Orlando the same time that following year. So this was later in the season. Uh, I want to say mid-March going into the playoffs. So we're thinking, 
we got a good ass team. They got a good ass team. We're going to see them in the final. So it was a really, although it was a regular season game, it was a really chippy game, a really back and forth. I think it was a, like an afternoon ABC game. So the world was watching. And, uh, you know, Vince knows Kobe is the, a motherfucker, man. Like <laughs> phys- physically gifted as, as anyone we've ever seen, but also a mental tactician and someone that'll break you down mentally if you allow it. So Kobe will grab you, elbow you, hit you, cheap shot you, do whatever he can. And they, the, the refs turn the head the other way. Turn so their head. A, I was just about to say. <laughs> I had enough at that point. I'm like, fuck this, yo, bro. We're about to fight. Like, fuck all this hey, basketball. Like, we I can just fight. I remember him. I was like, Matt, man, we need you. He's like, you. nah, nah. Nah, fuck this. Yeah, like, fuck this. Literally, you know that's what I mean? <laughs> So we, uh, you know, we're going back and forth. And the play was for Vince. The play, this is a, was a wow. backdoor play out of an out-of-bound inbounds play for me to pass the ball to Vince. And when I promise you, I tell you, like, I wasn't, it wasn't premeditated. I didn't even know I was going to do it. My arms did it. Like I wasn't. <laughs> and if you look at it, like I'm not even looking at him. I'm looking at Vince because Vince is supposed to come off two picks come and back. come around this backside yep. for this layup. So I'm watching Vince the whole time, but somehow my hands just fucking went to ball face him. And I didn't realize at the time how close it was. We ended up battling. I had a big shot at the end. We won the right. game. And I didn't realize how, how, how close the ball was to his face till after the fact. So fast forward. We sweep through the first two rounds of the playoffs, like eyeballing the Lakers, thinking like, shit, we know we're going to play them in the finals right. this year. We get to the Eastern Conference Finals, Stan Van Gundy pulls pull some, pulls some. I want to reinvent the offense for some reason, even though we beat Boston 3-1 uh, during the season. We end up getting beat by Boston in the, in the, um, in the Eastern Finals. Um, you know, the, I think the, the Lakers beat them, uh, beat Boston in the finals. So then uh, it's contract time and um they're about to pay jj and they're talking about giving me some money and i guess i was just the odd man out so once i found out i wasn't going back i was still in orlando and i was talking to pat riley and d wade i was just going to go up to miami and they were telling me about this plan like you know we think we're going to get lebron uh, chris bosh is coming but you just come with us and you come win a championship i'm like fuck i'm in i'm right up the freeway let me know and then all of a sudden, maybe like three days after I talked to them, I got a phone call from a number I didn't know. And if anyone knows me, I don't ever answer my phone, even if I see your name. <laughs> Just most of the time I don't answer. I'll text you later. <laughs> um, and I get a call from a random number and it's Cole. And he just, he starts talking to me. I'm like, hold on. I was like, who's this? He's like, it's Cole. I'm like, yeah, fucking right. Like, who is this for real? He's like, nah, bro. He's, he's like, nah, it's, it's me. He's just, and we start talking back and forth. What's going on? Congratulations. championship. And he's just like, you know, Anyone crazy enough to fuck with me is crazy enough to play with me. Do you want to be a Laker? Wow. I'm like, oh, shit. Are you kidding me? And I, I you know, I grew up in Cali. I, I'm a Magic Johnson fan, you know, Showtime fan. And, you know, instantly when he said that to me, like that shut any other team out of the picture. I'm just like, absolutely. And like three days later, I was a Laker. So everyone wow. thought that like Kobe and I hated each other or anything. Like Kobe relationship goes back to 98. I met, obviously, I knew about Cole before, but I got a chance to meet him in 98 when I was a play because he came to the Lakers in 96 and he, he just was young. So he was always on our UCLA campus, walk around, work, but I would step back into Poly Pavilion and watch him work out. So I'd always admired just, okay, well, if that's the bar. I got some work to do. But then I was just like, well, shit, maybe I could just guard him. But I knew offensively I had nothing. I, I couldn't do nothing offensively compared to him. So I just thought defensively. So he was kind of always the measuring stick. And, you know, from being a fan to actually being a competitor against him, it was just always mutual respect. Like I told you earlier, like, I don't give a fuck who you, how many points you score. Like, I'm going to guard you as hard as I can until the game's over. And I know he respected that. So 
we went from, you know, fierce competitors to teammates. And then that's when we became brothers because I went to the Lakers in 2010 and he and I were both going through some stuff in our personal life. So we really bonded, you know, not as teammates, but as off the court brothers going to dinner, going to, you know, red carpet events and really just got a, a chance to get to, you know, get to know the other side of him. And then, you know, he's a great dude. And he, he took to my kids instantly. My kids started calling him Uncle Cove. He started giving them shoes that, over they think when I left Orlando. So he started giving them shoes. Every new shoe that came out, he said to them, they were always in the locker room hanging at them. So we really became like brothers. And then fast forward to the end of both of our careers, you know, he was coaching Gigi and I was coaching the twins. So I would see Kobe every other weekend. You know, we would talk, we'd catch up. And one thing about him, which is, it blew me away. Like he would find out, because I would never know, but he would find out when we were playing in the same tournaments. And he would always ask like, yo, what's the boy's schedule? And I'd be like, okay, well, Saturday we played nights like shit. We played eleven. I'll be there. I'm gonna come. Ch- I'm gonna come ch- check the twins out. So he would always come check the twins out. If we played two hours before, or hour or two after, he would come and watch the twins play with all the security. And but it, it, it really wore my heart to know that like he loved me and them enough to go out of his way because you got to understand when you see Kobe in the AU gym, he's fucking swarmed like everywhere he steps. But he would stay away, wait around, or come early you know, to watch my kids and their team play and still sent their team shoes and everything. So, you know, that's kind of our start to the end. And I, I still can't believe him, but I was, you know, blessed to be able to not only call him a friend and a teammate and a competitor, but a brother, because we really grew a very strong bond uh, once we became teammates and, and then we retired. That's an awesome story. I love that that he went from you doing that to him for you wanting him wanting you to be his teammate because you were crazy enough to do that. Like you would think he wouldn't <laughs> right. like yeah, you for that. But that's the first thing he says. Like, yo, anyone crazy enough to fuck with me is crazy enough to play with me. If you remember the year before he got into a Ron Artest when Ron was in with the Rockets. You know what I and mean? Then, so yeah. he went, he went, he went and got, <laughs> he Ron, went and got Ron the next year. And, he then sure he, and then he and then he went and got me and he's like, fuck, I'm tired of fucking with these crazy motherfuckers. Y'all need to play with me and be crazy to everyone else. And, and, and to everyone else. So huh? he did. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because I, I remember back when that all happened, I was like, yep, he grabbing all these dudes who, who, mm-hmm. who, who up in his face. He's like, all right, now the world is mine for real. Now what, bro? Yeah. Vince, it seemed like you obviously remembered that moment and you thought Matt was maybe going to fight Kobe. Yeah, he no, he said that. Vince was trying to calm me down like, no, bro, come on. We need you, man. The game's on. Come on. We got to yeah. win. Vince was like the like the like the uh, good angel on my shoulder. But that, that bad <laughs> angel was like, man, Vince, fuck what you're talking about. Get out the way. Like we've got to fight. All right. And, 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 hey, and after, after that, he ended up hitting the, the you know, the shot to, to, for us to win. Yeah, I hit the big, I hit a big three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of people in the league that he, Matt wanted to beat up. But I, to, to be honest with you, it was never because, oh, you know, fuck this dude, whatever. It was just on some stuff they were trying to pull. I'm just like, that's not you. That's not really you. But if you want to fight, we can fight. Because like you said, you know, when you meet everyone, everyone is really cool for the most part. Like, I can't look back and say, like, during my career, like, oh, he was an asshole or he was this, he was that. You know, I wasn't, I was cool with everyone. I wouldn't call everyone a friend, but like for the most part, everyone was cool. You know what I mean? So when people are just out of character or trying to pull some tough shit to win, like I'm with the tough shit and I want to win. So if you're going to pull some tough shit, let's pull it. Is there anyone that like you consistently wanted to fight? Mm-mm. Vince seems to disagree. No, no, no I'm just, <laughs> I, was, I, was waiting to, I was waiting to hear this answer. I was curious to hear it. I, didn't, I was curious. To be honest, no. Like I said, I mean, obviously stuff would happen during games that, that, that could possibly get there. But the, like I said, I'm like convinced to tell you off the court, like 
I'm very cool, calm and collected. Obviously, you know, if you push my buttons off the court, I'll run like I do on the court. But for the most part, like I'm very chill. And, and, and nine times out of 10, never really my beef that I get into. You know what I mean? My beef is always protecting my teammates. That's why another cool story, like the only person who ever paid my fines for me taking up for them was Kobe. Hmm. Like I protected Blake. I protected Chris. I protected everyone I play with. And like if, if, if people were on them, you know what I mean? The only person who paid my fine when I jumped in some shit for them was Kobe. <laughs> How many of these guys did you get ejected for? Oh man, I got I got ejected a lot. <laughs> I got ejected a lot. I remember I got ejected uh, one game in, in with the Clippers when uh, Serge Ibaka was trying to bully Blake, and I pushed. Oh, uh, yes, I remember that. <laughs> Serge was trying to fight Blake in L.A. And I don't know Serge. I just didn't really like his energy, so I was just like, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, let's go. And so that almost turned into a skirmish. And I remember as soon as I got ejected, I'm like, fuck, man, this is gonna cost me another. I don't even know how much it was, but then I'm just like, shit. And I got in the locker room, I'm like, man, fuck this shit. I'm done taking up for these niggas. I don't even remember what the rest of the tweet says. I got fine fucking 20, it was either 20 or 50,000 for that tweet on top of being ejected. I'm just like, I'm done. If anyone wants to beat the rest of you guys up, they can beat you up now because y'all <laughs> motherfuckers not paying my fines no more. I'm, I'm dumb, dumb. I'm done with Yo, this I shit. I remember that. So that, that had to be like a almost $70,000 mistake. Man, it was, it, it, was, it, was, it was a rough night. That, that night hurt. And I hurt. I lost. Ooh. Someone did the calculations. I lost over a quarter, or over excuse me, over half a million dollars in fines during my career, which is crazy. Wow. And Kobe's the only one that helped you out there. Yeah, Kobe's the only one that paid He's my a real fine. One. Yeah. He mm-hmm. is a real one. Did you ever almost fight someone for Vince? No, nah, Vince was quite as cool as Vince is Vince was on some shit like you're not really you know I mean you're not gonna you're not gonna and not that you were gonna punk Cole but you know Vince is a super athlete and strong as fuck too so Vince always held his own and most of these guys held their own too so I don't really ever recall Vince ever really getting into some shit I remember him and Kobe were going back and forth but that was just they've known each other for a while so that wasn't my business so I would stay out the way but for the most part I don't recall Vince really getting any dust ups when we were teammates not really it was always Kobe though I swear Like, yeah, you guys always, always had that that back and all, forth, and I just I just loved it because you guys had such a long history together that yeah. I would enjoy just being on the court listening. He just God, leave man constantly. Yep, and you know, for, you know, you don't see Kobe like talk like it, it, you don't see it all the time. Like you see like GP, like you see no. him talking shit, but you don't see Kobe like that. Like he come to you, he lean in on you, you. yeah, right. And he up under you and then he says nothing. Yeah, it's nothing that everyone can hear or even read his lips. Like he'll get right next to you and you're bending down to grab your knees and he's bending down to grab your knees and he'll talk some shit to you. Eat to one of these real quick. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, what? So nah, bro, nah, chill. Like Hell yeah. yeah. What would he say to you, Vince? Like, give me a few. So he nah, he'll I mean, he'll it it is not even he's like, he'll say something like, all right, motherfucker, don't wake the beast. (laughs) (laughs) Let you know. Let the beast sleep. You better let me sleep. Like, bro, what? You didn't want to wake the beast either. He wasn't yeah, lying. He, no, he ain't lying. But, you know, at, the, <laughs> at that point, when he come tell you, like, well, wake up. Right. Oh, <laughs> wake up. Right? Let's go. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then Kobe turned into a, a monster, man. Like, for years, like, it's been, like, we've we've gotten into it. I'm talking about fingering each other, faces, like, all of that. And, you know, you know, when, you, when that happens, he hits you with, all right, all right, and then you got to respond, however that is, you know. 
I've unfortunately never seen you really like that in person, Vince, but I do know that you like to talk to refs a lot and you clearly have earned their respect because Vince never gets teed up and Vince is always speaking with the refs in not the calmest yeah. tone. No, nah, I mean, you know, I've had, I mean, I had a couple of moments that were like really out there. Bruce Bowen was one of them when I was in Jersey. And then in Memphis, I had one with uh, Kyle Anderson. Like, you know, like I said, I, I, I play, I hoop, it's whatever. And, you know, like, 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 like Matt says, like, especially older, older events for sure. It's kind of like, man, I'm just trying to hoop, enjoy this and, you know, see everybody succeed. And, you know, I'm trying to do my thing. And, you know, every now and then younger dudes come up there, talk, they jump like, what? Like, bro, I don't even, I, I you know, I ain't with that. I'm just trying to hoop. But like, and I, I don't know, I just snapped. Especially it was the playoffs against uh, San Antonio, in San Antonio, too. All right. I got a couple more basketball questions for Matt. Then we'll quickly talk politics and then we'll be done. So you've played for several teams, Matt. I want to know, it seems like maybe L.A., but where would you call your home team kind of, or, you know, where you felt the most connected? Um, Three teams, Lakers, Clippers, and Warriors. Uh, you know, Warriors, because I felt like after my first three years, I was almost on my way out and Don Nelson gave me a chance. Uh, first coach really, really gave me a chance and believe in me. Uh, that was the 06, 07, we believe team. We made NBA history and I was kind of a household name after that season. Um, the Clippers, because when I was, uh, I got drafted, got cut uh, from the D League, they gave me my first shot um, to be an NBA player. And then I went back and played for Lob City and really kind of turned that franchise around and really took a lot of pride in kind of making, you know, we won our first division title. We weren't necessarily doormats anymore, even though we, you know, we couldn't get over the hump in the playoffs. And then a Laker, you know, I've always been a lifetime Laker fan and to have the greatest Laker of all time, um, you know, want me to join him to, to go to war really meant a lot for me. So those would probably be my three teams that I call home. And when you were, you know, coming up in the league during your time in the NBA, who were some of your vets that you looked up to and that you spoke to for, you know, motivation? Uh, Chris Weber uh, was definitely my my vet. Um, you know, he was someone my second year I was in Sacramento, um, you know, playing in my hometown on cloud nine. And then I get thrown in the trade with uh, I, I get thrown in the trade with him to Philly. And I was completely lost. And when I got to Philly, I didn't get a chance to play. So he was someone who constantly motivated me, encouraged me. You know, even talking to him the other day, uh, he told me he wrote about me in his book because he said, I, you know, I did the same thing for him. I got him through a tough time. You got to think he was a superstar, got hurt, got traded to Philly and kind of just kind of left people like, fuck it. You know what I mean? So, you know, I was really, you know, we were there for each other, leaned, leaned on each other. And, and still to this day, he's, you know, my big brother, my mentor. That's great. Um, can you give me your favorite Vince Carter memory, either as his teammate or playing against him? I just think his first year in the league uh, and the dunk contest, because I was still in college. That dunk contest, what year was the dunk contest in the Bay, Vince? 2000? 2000. That dunk contest was fucking unbelievable. What year was that for you? That's your third year, fourth year? What year was kind that? My, my third year. Third so year. I got there, I got yeah. 98. So it was actually my second year, really. Yeah. So really, to be honest, just, just, just the way Vince took the lead by storm. You know what I mean? It was always Jordan and Dr. J were the best in-game dunkers. And then along comes this motherfucker right here and was dunking on the whole entire world. And it was just beautiful to watch because it was so motionless and, and effortless and disrespectful for everyone <laughs> he dunked on. Like I was just someone in, in the, and what I liked about it was 
God, God knew not to let me jump that motherfucking eye because if I was dunking on people like Vince, I would have been talking shit the whole time. But Vince never talked shit. You know, he might give you a look or a stare or uh, but Vince <laughs> would just run back down the floor and like Go at least talk shit to him so he got a chance to talk shit about like you disrespect him. Then he can't even then he can't even say nothing to you because you're just a nice guy. Like what the fuck? <laughs> so I would definitely just say you know. The way Vince came in the league and took the league by storm, then obviously, you know, probably one of the greatest performances in, in dunk contest history we've ever seen. That he is. A disrespectful dunker. <laughs> Dunking on folks since who even knows? Mm. Probably 1990. Mm. Probably. 91. 90. That was 92. the year I was, that's 92, the year I was born. my sophomore year. 92. What? 91. Wow. Oh, man. She, she's not even 30 yet. We're talking, we're, no, you have a co right. with the baby. Yeah, you're right. Right. I like That's to right, remind I was about him. to say I was about to say 92 was probably. You know, that was my sophomore year of high school. Hmm. That's when I was kind of I started dunking, dunking like dump, what, dunking on people. Yeah. I, I first dunked in sixth grade. Of did you see did. My, my first yeah. dunk was in eighth grade? And I, yeah, I started grade. dunking on people like the end of my freshman year season. But yeah. Nothing, nothing like the shit you were doing. But. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had a Duncan. I, I played varsity, or you know, um, for the junior high. It was junior high still. I played uh, as a f- seventh grade. I played on the, the, the ninth grade team, and I got a dunk mm-hmm. in seventh grade in game, which was my first in game. And then ninth grade, I got a few. And then sophomore year, it was over. It was over. Wasn't it dope though? Don't you remember those days where like you didn't even realize because you got to think back then we weren't really working out. We were just playing sports and being kids. Like, right, but right. like each year, like each summer, we would start jumping so much higher than the summer Absolutely. we did before. Like it yeah, was it, dope to keep seeing. Like, look out! Like it's on. It, it's happening. I'm looking forward to that for my kids because like they train and shit now. Like we didn't train. We didn't do none of that. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see like that development year after year and like when you really start dunking and kind of filling out in your body. Like yeah. it was, it was, a, it, it was, it was a fun journey for me. I'm sure it was fun for you just to kind of continue. Like, damn, I keep getting jumping higher and higher and shit. And, and it's better. Yeah, it's kind of just like the league. You know, like that. Your 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 first year, you kind of as a rookie, you kind of figuring all out. A lot being thrown at you, and in your second year, it's like, oh, okay, I've been there before. Because once mm-hmm. you kind of, it's once once the game slows down, slows as down. you know, once yes. it slows down, like you can be yourself. Yeah. It's like my first year, yeah. I had a successful rookie year, but my second year. Like 2000, that year, and then go moving on and like getting the experience of the Olympics, man, I became like a different animal. Yeah, no, it, it's, I, I tell people that all the time. Like, you can be as good as you want coming into the league, but it's raw athletic talent and instincts. You know, it takes two, three, sometimes four years to kind of learn the game, to understand yeah. the NBA. And then every year after that, you're learning, but you, take off, you, kinda, you kinda get a grasp of the league after like third or fourth year. That's why I think it's gonna be scary for Zion. Zion's a 20, 2010 guy off just pure effort and athleticism. Like when he yep. learns how to change speeds and gets mm-hmm. the right body weight, like he's going to yep. be a fucking problem. Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> and it's crazy to think about Vince talks about his first couple of years. He didn't know a lot about recovery or wasn't really doing that much. And just how much the science has advanced. Yes. Yeah. Since- and I used to watch, I used to watch the old heads doing, I'm like, like sitting in the cold tub, like, yeah, go ahead. Right. Kidding me. Like not even stretch, like not even stretching before we play when we first came in the game, you know, and and that's me having kids now. And unfortunately, Isaiah uh, sprained his meniscus just working out. So it's just like understanding body maintenance and body upkeep. Like we didn't, we weren't taught none of that. and We didn't even Mm -hmm. see none of that. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So it's it's a completely different game now to just to kind of understand 
being what being a professional means. And, yeah. and, and that's not only playing, but that's off the court, obviously, but then obviously being able to keep your body in tip top shape in, in the ways to do that. And you talk about your boys. Imagine, you know, when they get to that age, like how much longer people are probably going to be in the league. And Vince yep. lasted 22 years with, I don't know when you started actually actively doing recovery, mm-hmm. but. But, mm-hmm. but Annie, I'm going to say this too. At the same time, kids now have more opportunity to play basketball in the summer. More. Than, than, they, than we did. So it wasn't as many tournaments, um, you know, just camps and all that stuff. Well, they had camps, but like now, every weekend in the summer, like yeah. somebody can play. So yeah. the miles that are put on a high school kid's body now is a little different than it it's was not, 25 not, years, 30 years ago. It's not a good thing either. You know, I, no, I'm in I'm the saying. midst of so, this and that's why I coach my kids because we have some really good players in our team and they play on two, two or three different teams. And I, like to me, that's how you, I think you hit it on the head perfectly. I, I, I read a study maybe three years ago that the average rookie's knees look like a 26 or 27 year old when they're coming into the league just because of the wear and tear getting there. Already, man, it's crazy. You know, just so getting in there. Recovery, so yeah, like you say, now recovery is so important. Like, you know, the cryo, like you see high school kids like talk about cryo. I was like, man, I wouldn't even talk about I a hated, bag of ice. I hated the cryo in Memphis. Then I was 30 right. something. The cryo right. was torture. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. Oh, man. Well, that's the only be... way I, I knew I could survive. Mm-hmm. Do both your boys want to play basketball forever, you think? They do, yeah. you know, I, but you I was them someone kids? who you never. You see them kids, that's why. Yeah, right. you, I was someone who never pushed them. You know, I was fortunate enough to play what I played and. I mean, obviously, with all the opportunity, they have every opportunity to be in the world, you know, to be night and day better than I was. Uh, But it wasn't something I was going to push or force, you know, and I think, oddly enough, and not to continue to bring up Kobe, but I took them their birthdays in two weeks. So two years ago, almost coming up on two years ago, Kobe surprised them and did like a private workout for them um, for their birthday. I saw that on video. And I, um, I told Kobe, he's like, what are they into? You know, what are they like? What do they work on? What is this? I was like, Kobe, all these motherfuckers do is play their iPad. He's like, all right, I got it. So we went in there and talking and before the workout, Kobe's talking, you know, where are you guys going to go to college? And then you just said, we're going to UCLA. And Kobe's like, no, you're not. And the boy's like, what the fuck? He's like, not if you guys keep playing on your iPad, you can probably go to UCLA because I know you're going to be intelligent, but you're not going to play basketball. And it kind of like got them like, oh, oh shit. And then he put these motherfuckers through a hell of a workout. So it kind of, their mentality changed right there because I think it was Kobe doing it. And then Oddly enough, when he passed, rest in peace, mm. we were playing in a tournament um, at, in the Bay. We were at my house in the Bay that day, championship Sunday. We were about to play for a championship. And, you know, Kobe's a little older, so some of the kids on the team didn't understand the magnitude. But when me and the twins saw it and I went upstairs, the twins were like, balling. Like, that's Uncle Kobe. And from there, you know, they dedicated themselves to want to start working out. So this year, like, we spot workout before. But this year has been really consistent on them, them wanting to work out. Dad, I, you know, I want a trainer. Dad, let's go shoot. Dad, I want to get, get my after feet better. Too. Yeah, like I yeah, see and, and they, yeah, they, they, they get want, after. yeah, they want it now. And, and as a father, you can't ask for nothing more because I never want. I, I hate when I see and I, and I've coached it and I've seen it. Parents vicariously living through their kids and pushing their kids through shit that they really don't want to do. You know, some some parents are making this a job at 10, 11, 12 years old. And it's a job when we get to where we're at, you know, so right now it's supposed to be fun and learning. So to me, it was always like, if you don't want it, I respect it. I'm going to make sure you're, you know, you're set. You're going to learn business. You're going to learn this. You're going to learn that. But, you know, basketball is up to you or football is up to you. And, you know, they're to the point now where I I can say 
that Kobe really sparked that fire into them for them to want to be better. And they remember what, what he told them. And, um, you know, since then, they've been really wanting to get better. And, and I can see it as a father and it, it, it warms my heart. Hey, Annie, I, I think the, the advantage a lot of dads or parents in, in sports have, uh, which is sometimes good or bad for the kids is when, um, you know, your kids like, I want to be good. I want to do this. And the experience experiences the parents in sports have had, like, like you, like I have, like I tell my, my, my daughter all the time, it's like, don't tell me you want it. Cause when you tell me that, that means we're going to do, we're going to take the steps what to get takes. there. And we're going to do, we're going to do that. Like, you know, cause you know, we've played on the highest level against the, the best talent there is in the world. You know what I'm saying? So you understood, you understand what it, what it means and what it takes to be that. So when you say that to me, all right, well, let's, let's work towards that. And, you know, and, and within reason, because like you said, sometimes you don't want the kids to burn out or you don't want to scare them away. But I, I want to give, I wanted to give my daughter a taste of that. You know, your kids have gotten a taste of what mm-hmm. it takes to be that. And they can kind of decide from there, either they're back off or they say, Oh, right. I like it. I want more. Um, or whatever the case may be, but you know, I want I want for for kids or, and especially the kids or parents who listen today. Like, regardless of if you play professional or not, you know, push your kids. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I know you're not big into every, every kid gets a trophy, but like I said, you want I, I like to teach the kids like, don't think because dad played professionally, like you 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 got it, you got to earn this, you got to earn it, you got to earn it, like point blank. Because mm-hmm. when they see when, like the twins and my kid, they see your last name, what it says. Guess what? All that hard work, you're going to really have to show it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're going to be know, we face that. that now, you know what I mean? Because people know who I am. And then, you know, the twins have a little bit of shine behind their name. It's a great, we're actually making a little, uh, I don't know, maybe, a, I don't know if it's a documentary or just kind of like a follow along with our AAU team. And, be, and because we can't play in California right now, we're traveling state to state to play. And these kids are getting everyone's best shot. When I tell you, like, the parents are so excited if a team beats us, if they make a shot on us, we got a really good, you know, we're top 10 in the country. So that, like, they're getting a taste of it right now. And I, 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 I'm, I'm thankful for it because, you know, by the time they get older, like, you know, we've been getting cussed at and booed and screamed at since we were 10 years old. Like, this shit can't rattle us. This shit can't shake us. So I'm really big on teaching our, our, our kids, obviously, the physical skills, but the mental toughness, because, mental you know, Vince, you can yeah. attest, like, once you get to the top, we can all do pretty much everything. Like, it, it's this that's going to allow mm-hmm. you to have some longevity or some success in this game or success in life. So I'm, I'm really big on teaching mental toughness because, you know, when you have a name on the back of your jersey or your, your father or your mother did something in a professional aspect, like, you're going to be a target. And, um, you know, so I, I, my kids have to be ready for that. That's dope. I think we could all use a lesson in mental toughness. At least I'll speak for <laughs> myself. Um, okay, last topic, and then we'll close. I I'm not going to talk- even talk about that, Annie. Go, no, go ahead. Please enlighten me. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Go ahead. Vince, Vince knows. Uh, my my skin has thickened throughout the duration of this podcast <laughs> this past two years. But um, I'm talking about she was charming, bro. She was like charming. Charming. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> here's, here's the problem. I'll summarize this really quickly. When you do a podcast with a guy like Vince Carter... Um, obviously there's going to be haters out there, you know, cause who doesn't love 
to hate. And um, I was sometimes the object of that. And this is kind of my first time in the spotlight these past couple of years. So, you know, being the recipient of that was new for me. It was not new for Vince or or Kent, um, but it was new for me. So just learning that. It's just a lot, though. You know, even though we're used to it, it's still a lot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just it. You know, social media has been the biggest blessing and biggest curse, I think, of our generation because Mm -hmm. it's allowed so many opportunities. But then at the same time, it's, you know, faithless people that are unhappy projecting their unhappiness and their energy out on you and will say the most disrespectful shit to your Mm -hmm. kids, to you, to your exes, to this, this, and that. So even though we're trained for it, it's still a tough situation to handle. Because it it makes you say sometimes, like, even if you, like, and obviously I've actually seen you respond, like, yo, bro, where is this coming from? (laughs) Why are you mad? Like, why? what's wrong? Or you, like, to me, like, just don't say nothing you wouldn't say to someone's face. Yeah. That's true. You know what I mean? Like, if just if you would say that to my face, which 99% sure you wouldn't, like, why say it now? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just say, but anyway, that's a whole nother show in that. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole nother. Right. That's a fact. Especially not in your face, because I'm sure people would not, <laughs> not want the repercussions of that. They just don't want to say it to Vince because, you know, he's he's Vince, but I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to anger you from what we've seen on the court. <laughs> and off. Oh, and off. Oh, shit. Nah, they they better know. Like Matt, get in the car, and come see you, bro. What's on, y'all, man? Oh, oh, we were teammates when that happened. I forgot about that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We were teammates when that shit happened. <laughs> yeah, like man, y'all y'all talking to, to a man who man, all right. y'all don't read the news. Okay, cool. Mm, but I'm 40 now. That shit is in my past, Vince. Oh, okay. <laughs> he said, "Oh, no, okay. I'm, no, no, I'm, I, no, I'm with you. My bad. I just saw some breaking news. My bad. My bad. No, you good. You good." Let's move on to politics. Uh, You mentioned wanting to run for mayor. So I just want you to kind of elaborate on that. And then we'll talk a little about the election that's going to be next. Is that next week? The next week. Soon. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, go ahead and tell us about being mayor. (laughs) You're right, mayor. Go ahead. I'm going to start calling you that now. I was fortunate enough to, uh, you know, see Kevin Johnson do it. You know, a player that came from the same place I came from, had a long, successful NBA career. And was able to come back and, and and really, when I first saw it, it wasn't so much on the politics side. I just saw he was back in the community, bettering the community, you know, building things, giving people opportunities, making where he came from a better place. And and, and that's what drew me to it. Um, obviously, since then, you know, the political climate and the climate of America has kind of reared its head. And it's really made me take a dive into just the actual game of politics. And it's so much to catch up on. You know, you think as African-Americans, we were not supposed to have a voice or a footing in this space, you know? So I'm trying to catch up on 400 and plus years of bullshit, you know? So my whole thing in this space to me is, you know, obviously utilizing, you know, understanding the opportunity we have as people who are, who are allowed to vote, but don't try to take it all on at once. It take bite-sized pieces. If you feel like the overall thing is overwhelming, because we all, all we ever tell people is go vote, go vote. And then when you sit down and look at that ballot and see how many propositions and, and, right. and laws and people you've never heard of are on there, it's it's overwhelming and it could be discouraging. And then on top of that, you know, the voter suppression, the long lines, you know, the fake mailbox, there's just so many things to kind of deter us from actually voting. So my whole pitch was, you know, you don't have to listen to anyone, you know, do your own research. But if it's only one or two propositions you work, but you vote on this year, that's great because that's going to get you motivated and you're going to see some return on that. And then that's going to want you to, you know, kind of continue to do your research and maybe do a little bit more. But it's as simple as, you know, you want your potholes fixed. You want more funding for schools. You want equal home opportunity. You know, there's so many things that we can directly affect on our local and state level that I don't think people understand. Like we get to choose the mayor 
we get to choose the DA. There's a lot of and those are people who have a hand in selecting the police chief and, and, and who has a hand in firing these officers. And then the DA is a hand on actually, uh, you know, excuse me, charging these officers. And the DA has an actual job of charging or firing these officers. So there's a lot of things that we can directly affect with our vote on our local and state level that can kind of start changing things. So um, that's kind of just been my whole pitch is just kind of, you know, we're picking the lesser of, which is unfortunate, but it's just like, you know, we, we've seen what this last four years has been like, um, you know, with, with, with the current president and, and his dog whistle for Hayden. I'm someone who faced a lot of racism growing up, so I don't care about all the great things he's done for whoever. Like, once you start spewing hate and pushing hate and encouraging hate, I can't fuck with you. I can't support you. I can't vote for you. So I'm not saying that Biden is much better. I think he's someone who's had a rocky past. Him and him and Mrs. Harris uh, have had rocky past, but I think they're two people who have hopefully learned from their mistakes, understand what the people want and, and are willing to listen. And, you know, that's kind of where I'm, why I'm leaning that direction. But, um, you know, I just think it's a critical time. I think for the first time in 400 years, the world is listening to us. So we have to have a strategic plan moving forward. And that first plan is to vote, you know, and then the second, the, the, the second plan is kind of, okay, what do we want as black America? What do we want as minority in these countries? Because if we understood that we are actually the majority and not the minority in this country, like there's more people with a little bit of color in their skin than there isn't. And if we understand by coming together, we can really change this world and understand the power we have if we unified, that we would never give that power back. So I'm hoping this year, um, the one thing that's really encouraging about this year is I've never seen so many people with a platform speak on voting. You know, no matter what side you're on, just people are going to get to the polls this year. And that's very encouraging because, like I said, there's more of us than there isn't. And um, hopefully, you know, we've done enough research to understand not only on the federal level who we're voting for, but on your local and state level, you have a voice and you have an opportunity to really affect change. Yeah. And and we talked about this last week, but I'm I'm working at State Farm Arena right now as we bring in, I think it's between 20 and 30,000 people that have come to vote at early voting at State Farm wow. Arena. And we're, we still so, have one more week. So when this drops on Monday, we will be there. Um, through the end of the week, um, through the 30th. So it's really important for people to get out and cast their vote. And um, Vince yes. already voted by mail early. early. Yeah, I already did. I'm already, I, mine's done. My mom, I got the email. Uh, my mom was like, you should be good. And I got the email the same day say, I'm good. I have a political strategist that I kind of lean on and, and a guru in the space. So he, um, he's coming over next week with, and I, I'm going to have a handful of my friends come over and we're going to sit down and discuss things and discuss stuff we don't know and kind of go back and forth and, and do our voting next week. So I'm definitely going to get my early voting out of the way as well. Yeah, that's great. And only, I guess it's it's like a, a law that only the smaller precincts can be open on election day, which is why it's so important to get out and vote early and go somewhere like State Farm Arena or a lot of arenas around the country right now that yeah. are doing early voting. Stable Center, yeah. Stable Center will yeah. be open. Yeah, I think that the, uh, Chavez Ravine where the Dodgers play, I think that'll be open. And it's really too, I mean, if it, you don't, you know, you're hearing all this stuff about mail-in voting, if that scares you, I mean, you can take your actual ballot and drop it, you know, at, at the polling stations as well. So, you know, there's really no excuse. Um, I was really close. I came up with an idea a little too late. Hopefully we can get it, um, you know, following up. But I came up with an idea and I've been talking to Instagram about, you know, everyone wants that blue check. It doesn't mean really shit on 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 instagram but everyone wants to have that blue check so i can't i i pitched an idea to instagram to make like a purple check or a purple badge to let people know like hey i've registered to vote 
You know what I mean? To me, that should be cooler than any yeah. kind of blue anything. check or anything because you're really, you know, utilizing your voice and, and, and you're making your voice count and, and, and your vote count. So, you know, to me, I, I've, like I said, I've always been trying to do things that are creative and, and motivate and encourage people to do better. And Andy, awesome. let me add, he, uh, I was, I did it. He has his vote initiative with the HBCUs that we were just on a couple oh, of days yeah, ago, yeah. which is, yep. which was, was dope with voting, uh, encouraging, yeah. um, you know, young African American or people of color to vote with CP and, and, and Chica. Like, I mean, it's just, it's just great. Like you said, it's great to see, you know, you know, not only like what you're, what you're doing, what CP has done with LeBron. I mean, all these people, I mean, everybody using their voice in the platform in the young generation taking over like they've done and just like, I'm talking about like they're, they for real in the front lines speaking up and not backing down. And I think to, to see some, to hear some of the questions that we were asked, uh, from, from the young people was great. So, I mean, it's hopefully, like I said, strength in numbers and, you know, hopefully a, a change is soon, a change is near. Most definitely. Oh, yeah. This has been great. Your insights have been awesome. You know, it feels like you're obviously very honest and it's great to have that because sometimes, you know, people feel like that they can't <laughs> be their true selves. So it's great to have that. So we appreciate you coming on. No doubt. Thank the you mayor. guys for having me. Good. The mayor. Hey, from now, <laughs> hey, hey, from, hey, it's too late, bro. From now on, it's, I'm, hey, you got to speak it into existence, right? Hey, man, I'm good with it. I'm good Facts. with it. Yes, sir. All right. Well, that is another edition of the Winging It podcast with special guest Matt Barnes. Thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to... Five stars, good people. Five stars. Give us five stars. Leave us a review. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>